Our conversation today is with William Santana Lee, also known as Bill by those he's close to, and he's the CEO of Nightscope, an autonomous security and robotics company. This conversation is going to cover the gamut of concerns people have about surveillance to what it's actually looking for that has nothing to do with what people are usually stereotypically concerned about and how it's actually going to be predicting and preventing crime long-term and how much data it's collected with over 2 million plus hours and even the interesting story about how it was funded to create this solution to a very real crime problem we have in the United States. Truly awesome conversation about some groundbreaking technology used in very interesting ways and solving real problems, making theaters, schools, and many other public municipalities a lot safer. Without further ado, William Santana Lee, CEO of Nightscope. William, man, it is a pleasure to have you here. Uh, there are some really exciting things happening with the kind of tech that you're working with on robotics. And uh, I want to learn more about how it works. Does it use AI, things of that nature? As I was looking into it, I realized, why not just ask the source? So uh, before we get started, I just want to ask you how you're doing today, how you're feeling today. We're good. We're good. We're fighting the battle here in Silicon Valley, building some robots, going to come and kill everybody and take everybody's job, right? Oh, yeah. sorry. Wrong <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's funny. I used to be a security guard um, really no. when I was 18 years old. I mean, this, we're talking like 20 oh, something years ago, but um, I had three security guard jobs at once. And it was the only way I could avoid being, you know, in fast food or whatever. But oh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> when I saw what you were doing, I said, this makes sense though, because I got to be honest with you, those were some of the hardest times. I didn't have like, um, there was one of my jobs that was behind the desk, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like the other jobs I had where I was constantly like at the Grove or, you know, in, in, in a shopping center. And there were people who would get upset that you were even around and, you know, just a lot of things. So what, what I find interesting is sort of what it's doing. And I, we'll just get into it, right? Nightscope. Uh, from what I've seen, it's like an R2D2, but also a security guard at the same time that police have uh, access to the feed? Is that, did I understand that correctly? Uh, yeah, all our clients have access to the live feed. So uh, law enforcement agencies, uh, it can be corporate campuses, commercial real estate, uh, retail, HOAs, apartment complexes, basically anywhere you might see a officer guard patrolling is certainly an opportunity for night scope. Yeah, man, no, I think it's great. Um, for me, I know that a lot of people tend to look at like the job of being a security guard as maybe their way of easy money. And I'm not, I'm not hating on anyone's hustle, but the truth is it really can be automated and no one can be mad at that because all is do, all the role is supposed to do is observe and report. And if you can place a camera there, that yep. and, job and, and is and essentially the, and the built. problem. The problem is it's observe and report, but take the robots out for a moment, just pause and look at the security industry. You know, you've got anywhere from 100 to 400% employee turnover rates. It's worse than the fast food industry. So if you can't keep a person in a job for 90 days, like maybe there's something inherently wrong with the job, right? 
and then uh, to top it off, you don't provide them any tools for them to do their jobs properly, like you're going to have a problem. And so I, I think this country certainly has not enough officers and guards. And what we're trying to do is build some new tools so they can actually do their jobs much, much more effectively. I see. Yeah, there can definitely be a lot of supplementation collaboration between using those tools and then having people there. And then the truth is, you know, I spent all, in some of the roles, some of the, because I had multiple jobs at once, some of those, I literally just sat there all day. And that is not the best use for a human being. It's just yes. not. <laughs> 15 to 35 bucks an hour these days, depending on what you want the security guard uh, to do or not do. And in a lot of cases, like our, our client in, uh, in New York City, um they're looking at kind of how do we better utilize the humans so there's a lot of stuff that humans can do that you know machines can't and we want the machines to do the monotonous computational heavy stuff but all the decision making and enforcement and you know empathy and working out a situation that really requires a human but for the super boring kind of dumb jobs like you probably should automate that and put that guard where he or she can be that much more effective and kind of, again, providing some new tools so that you can cover a lot more ground and have the officer or guard have their eyes, ears, and voice on the ground in multiple locations at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely a better use to have a guard sit there and build relationships with all the tenants and, and really focus on the relationships and watching the dynamics of the humans involved as opposed to just observing and reporting, adding a time code to when they made their report. And it, it's just, I'm glad that you're doing it. Now, my question I, I gotta, to you- I got to tell you a funny story though. You, you'll probably laugh. Um, we had a client a long time ago that wanted the report of the robot being at a certain location at a certain time, like the whole report for like a month. And we're like, you think the, ro like the robot's lying? Like, we'll give you all the longitude, latitude, and, uh, um, and the timestamp, but like, I don't understand why you want this report. And so finally, we generate this ridiculous report and we hand it to the client and we're like, why do you need this? Like, well, we have some skeptics and um, okay, tell me more about the skeptics. Well, basically what ended up happening, there's some security guards that would walk around to the uh, markings on uh, the part of the mall where you can kind of clock in and you, you know, kind of scan that I was here. And so I guess the guard had taken a picture of the QR code and we're sitting in the parking lot, just swiping. <laughs> <laughs> not actually doing the job. It's like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I think it's called the Deggy system or something like that. Uh, usually, there's a, yeah. there's a or this in this case, it's a QR code. It's yeah, yeah. So again, everyone worries about the robots. Like I, I sometimes I gotta I gotta tell you, I often say I worry about the humans. <laughs> I worry about the humans too, man. In fact, do you? I I actually wanted to start with this, but it was just it was just so relatable. As soon as I started understanding it, I was like, oh, man, before I had gone even further, I was going to ask you, like, you know, what was your first experience with like technology? Uh, because for me, I remember being able to use like floppy disks and, and like really inherently beginning to see like where the world was going really early on uh, in, in the early 90s. Well, that's early for me, right? <laughs> uh, but what about yourself? How far back does this involve me or this picture of technology? Uh, 
for you work because you even have experience in the automotive industry. And so you've just always been a part of this manufacturing and operations and systems world. Yeah, I think the auto industry still, I still have a, a soft spot for because it's one of the places where technology, manufacturing, finance, branding, marketing, service, it's like it all intertwines. And then at the end of the day, you have an emotional connection to that product and it actually, you know, drives in and, and moves and stuff, which, you know, if you know what the sausage making looks like behind the scenes, it's actually like a, almost a religious experience to go to a plant and go, man, after all that, we actually built some and somebody bought them and they're being used because it's not pretty on the inside to be, to be super frank. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a, a little bit older and I hate getting older, but uh, one of the cool things is having a, a lot of experience uh, in a bunch of different um, settings and circumstances where, you know, a lot of stuff you can't really teach. Um, and to me, you know, you know, I, uh, programmed a little when I was, uh, a, you know, really young kid. I went to Carnegie uh, for electrical and mechanical. I went to Detroit for international marketing. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I haven't done as much engineering as I want because uh, I'm spending too much time doing financial engineering, which isn't all that great. But um, to me, I, I'm still want to fix it or come up with some new design or come I, that's the best time I have is hanging out with, you know, my uh, chief design officer or, or our engineers, you know, spending time figuring out how to uh, fix stuff as, and as Elon would say, you know, you still have to do the chores. If you don't do the chores of the stuff you really hate doing, you know, the rest of the stuff doesn't work, but uh, kind of my heart's still uh, in, uh, in product development. I mean, no business would exist without people who are good with money and finance and, and structuring deals and finding out ways to make sure it's sustainable. So first of all, thank you for that. And for, for taking one for the team, if you will, right? <laughs> for everyone else to, to do those kinds of things. You know, you brought up an interesting thing about financial engineering. Uh, from what I remember reading in some of my notes here, you've actually designed an opportunity that's usually reserved for people uh, who are trading in Wall Street at the higher levels. And since you are a public company, you actually provide like a high yield opportunity for someone to invest in Nightscope? Uh, yeah, so maybe for the audience, it might be uh, worthwhile to give a, a little reference point. So prior to going public on NASDAQ, we trade under the ticker symbol KSCP. Um, we had raised about a hundred, just north of $120 million from 35,000 investors to build all this technology from scratch. Uh, and a couple of reasons we did that. One, I live here in Silicon Valley and everyone told me, you're out of your mind, this will never work and um, we're not going to fund you. And that was the wrong answer. So I wanted to force this to happen. Um, so we found a different way. I think second, if you want the entire country to fix a problem that's you know, well over 200 years old, we're on our 46th president, no one's been able to fix the problem of crime and terrorism in our country. Um, you are not going to do that with foreign institutional investors in some ivory tower. You're going to need to mobilize uh, an army of individuals that are tired of the ongoing violence and stupidity going on in our schools and movie theaters and malls and Navy yards and, and what have you. Um, so we took a kind of strategic different path and 
we ended up raising all that money with no VCs, no private equity shops, no hedge funds. Wow. So um, January 22, I think, uh, we took the company public uh, and then got to learn a little bit about the underbelly of Wall Street. And uh, some people really don't want us to succeed for God knows what reasons. Um, so you've got a bunch of short sellers out there and a lot of toxic lenders. There's two to 300 uh, debt providers that prey on uh, small cap companies. And, you know, at the end of the day, all these CEOs want to do is do right by their shareholders uh, and keep growing the company. Um, but you've got this um, parasites um, sucking a massive amount of capital out for themselves um, and leaving the carcasses for the, the shareholders and in a lot of cases, destroying companies. Um, so we decided to take a page out of the what we did when we were private um is you know if you're public you can still do a reggae offering um so we ended up doing a, a setting up a, a public safety infrastructure bond offering to allow retail investors to have uh an opportunity to invest in a high yield uh debt instrument that's usually uh, pretty much uh allowed only for you know um the wall street elite or the insiders and usually investors don't, you know, retail investors never get to see these things. Um, so you can earn, you know, 10% interest on a five-year bond. So a quick example, if you invested $10,000, uh, we pay you a thousand dollars in cash uh, and interest annually. And then at the end of the five years, we give you your 10,000 back. Uh, so you start with 10 grand and you end with 15 grand. And if you want to learn more and all the disclosures and all that other important stuff, um, make sure to put that in the in the notes in the video there, but uh, it should be at uh, bond.nightscope.com and you can uh, learn more uh, about you, how you can use your investment portfolio to to fight crime. We're literally using the capital to to grow Nightscope. And if um, you know you you, you want to make sure Nightscope wins because if Nightscope wins, you know frankly everyone wins. If Nightscope doesn't win, like actually the criminals and terrorists win. Uh, so you need to pick a side. I love that, man. Um, it's so true that lately we've had any number of incidents happen uh, from churches to schools to uh, even more uh, political grounds like the White House itself and things of that nature. And not having visibility over the circumstances, the situation, what's going on there. I mean, if if the founders of our country were walking amongst the uh, across the the streets today, I think they would be appalled. You built a society where going to work, going to school, or going to movie theater literally came with the risk of being shot or killed. Yeah, like I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. And unfortunately, the country's not set up to address the problem. So we're going to have to get society and the private sector to help the public sector fix this. Um, and it's not just going to magically happen and get downloaded from the cloud and all of a sudden everything's <laughs> going to work you know, perfectly all well. Uh, you're going to need to build some new tools and new technologies and new processes for the two and a half million officers and guards to actually be able to secure this country properly. Yeah, and, and it's like the, the, the challenge is that there's a lot of people who will immediately see this as an increased surveillance on the public when the fact is that like, no, it's an increased surveillance for the public because it okay, matters. So, 
And yeah, that is so, who's running the company, right? Right. So when when you are a security guard, you're standing out front out front of your client. Are you invading someone's privacy? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and knock it off. Like we need some important tools. And you know, if you look back and and um, you know, a long time ago, there's no such thing as fingerprinting. That long time ago, there's no such thing as a DNA test. A long time ago, there's no such thing as a nine one one call center. Also, calling nine one one, reporting something as invasion of someone's privacy. I mean, you just got to kind of think through uh, the need for actually being able to have the tools uh, to do the job. And if the very simple comparison is compare an officer or guard to a soldier in a theater of war, a soldier has everything as you could possibly imagine and stuff you could never imagine at their fingertips drones submarines tanks ships all kinds of capabilities all kinds of reconnaissance uh intelligence surveillance kind of stuff all at their fingertips what do we give the soldiers uh uh on uh, out in the theater of war pretty much everything and that that should be the right way to do it but what do we do with the officers and the guards on our own soil? We give them a number two pencil and a notepad and a, and a CB radio and go, good luck. Yeah, like, I, I myself as a guard have been held up like by a gun at a shopping center just because I didn't want to let someone into the movie early. So believe me firsthand, I know what that feels like. Uh, right. It's like I, and I'm the one that gets in trouble if I mentally detain someone. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you're, I think in 17 states, it's illegal for you to put your hands on somebody if you're yeah, a security yeah. guard. The, but the if you're able on. to put <laughs> a million of these machines across the country, right? And you pull up into a parking lot and there's a five foot tall, 400 pound machine roaming around. The strobe lights are going. It says police <laughs> on the side. Like, hey, you're probably going to do a double take and not do something stupid. Yeah. Um, and that's literally what our clients have been enjoying for, you know, as low as 75 cents an hour to, you know, as high as $9 an hour uh, to provide that additional physical deterrence. It's 100% accurate that just having presence makes a big difference. Yeah. And you put a cop car on the side of the road, everybody on the highway pumps those brakes, right? Mm-hmm. There's <laughs> uh, no one even in the car. <laughs> and there's nobody in the car. You could put a cop car in front of your home. Like what happens? Yeah, It's the same psychology. And I think now that we've proven that it works, and if you don't believe me, go to nightscope.com slash crime, and you can see the long list of all the positive things these machines um, have already helped with society, and we're just you know, kind of in the first inning just getting going. Look, I mean, I think there's, there's, a, there's a fantastic opportunity to discuss something that I feel like you're only, only you are uniquely qualified to answer, not only given your current trajectory of what you're trying to do with Nightscope, but then your own history. You've seen systems and processes and innovative technologies, disruptive technologies change people's jobs, right? And right now, currently, we have AI, which I, I believe there's uh, there's machine learning involved in 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 your in your uh, equipment as well, right? But we have AI, machine learning, and we have robotics and things of that nature automating a lot of things. And over time, you've seen different versions and variations that I imagine, given your pedigree. Uh, what what if anything have you learned from watching that take place, and what that does to humans and and their own uh, circumstances regarding making a living and things of that nature? I think in a lot of cases, you know, if you engineer something really well, it's it's almost magical. It's like, how does that do that? And I think the 
funny, sometimes annoying thing for me. People ask me like, hey, when's Nightscope going to be using AI? And I kind of like tilt my head going, what, you think the robots, like there's a little Fred Flintstone, Barney Rubble dude inside the robot, just it's moving by itself and just uh, monitoring the, the place like by magic. Like we don't, we've operated now, I think in the field, well over two and a half million hours. You don't do that by remote control or we're not teleoperating <laughs> these things. These these are all running on AI to be able to navigate, to to plan, to know when to recharge themselves uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, so that's the kind of today. Tomorrow, it gets even more interesting. So what I want to be able to do with the help of support of all our investors across the country is put a million of these machines uh, in network. And if we can get a million machines out in the field, We'll put a massive dent in the problem. And the key thing to do is not just put the machines out there. We want them to all be able to see, feel, hear, smell, and speak. And if you can have those machines have that level of capability and do a hundred times more than a human could ever possibly do, then we're going to be making, I think, a big dent in, in the ongoing problem uh, that our country uh, is suffering from. Yeah, and there's... The, uh even just with the massive homelessness and like some of the things they're doing with the, the drugs in San Francisco and things of that nature, just being able to observe and, and have that recorded and understand what the major. Oh, I, I, I look at it a completely different way. I look at it a completely different way. So uh, just for a moment, let's suspend reality. And um, for 30 seconds, the founder got what he wanted, which is to make the U.S. the safest country in the world. And just for 30 seconds, let's assume that's true right now. What happened to the insurance rates? What happened to the municipality's budget? What happened to job creation? What happened to property values? What happened to the viability of local businesses? What happened to the job market? Like we would literally change everything for everyone. And that would be one way uh, in a roundabout way to address some of the homelessness stuff is you actually build a vibrant and growing and safe society uh, for people to operate in. And this is what to me is extremely important to just keep at it. And if people think we're kidding around, like this April will be our 11th year, we're not going away. You don't want to bet against the team that keeps showing up every single year fighting that battle. Um, so we're going to force a victory here, uh, but we can't do it by ourselves. So having our supporters all around the country, uh, continue to push for what we're doing, um, I think is going to make all the difference in the world. You know, one of the things that I've seen uh, over time as a, as a constant concern, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how Nightscope may address this or has already addressed this, and that's people are always concerned about the way these models are trained to determine uh, what crime looks like. They're like, is it skin color? You know, is it, you know, you know what I'm getting at with these sort of models yeah, and I, their I biases. It's a simple example. Yeah. Biases. And this, this is a garbage in, garbage out. Like if you had a kid and you told him that pistachio ice cream is the work of the devil, <laughs> right? It's actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> when, when he grows up or she grows up, like, Pistachio is the work of the devil. Uh, you now have a pistachio bias. Like if you train the algorithm with garbage data, you are going to get garbage out. This is not that the algorithm is bad or whatever. This is literally a technical engineering problem. 
it has to do with what you put in. It's nothing to do with the actual device being wrong. It's you didn't train the 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 algorithm correctly, or you provided insufficient or incorrect uh, data, or it's a little skewed because your sample. This will get self. This will self correct. This will. You know, engineers are really good at solving problems and continuing to iterate and improve them. Um, I think that's the first point. The second point is like, so the machines can read several hundred license plates a minute. But where is the bias in the in the license plate? We're biased, you know, against people from Massachusetts versus Texas. Like, there's like, it's a kind of nonsensical question. Or where is the bias in the thermal scan? Oh, it's over 400 degrees. We're biased against places that are hot. Like this doesn't make any sense, <laughs> right? Uh, or uh, it's 2.22 in the morning. You're trespassing. We detected a person. We're biased against humans? Like there's, there's, there's no logic here, right? There is the, I'm going to say something up here really high level that I think is controversial. And then you start poking at it. And it's like, actually, there's no there there. I see. The question inherently is designed to try to create a problem when in fact they're missing the point of the data you're actually collecting and using to determine whether or not crimes are occurring. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I just had to ask because I know that a lot of people oh, that's okay. will hear that's something okay. like this and that's the first place they jump. And I try to always keep that in mind. No, 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 no. That's not the first place. The first place is Terminator, Robocop, <laughs> Wally, Dalek, like every freaking movie that you've seen out there. That's the first thing. Yeah, haven't you seen the that movie? And it's like it's science fiction, emphasis on fiction. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, when you look at, I myself literally saw this. Uh, uh, I don't live on that side of town anymore, but I was driving across uh, somewhere in Hollywood, uh, somewhere on like Santa Monica Boulevard or what have you, and I saw someone pushing over a delivery robot that, like, I think was delivering like. I don't know, uh, 7-Eleven stuff, or I don't know, I don't know what it was, but it was trying to deliver some kind of groceries or food to someone. And I saw someone trying to punk the machine and I was like, wow, I, I don't understand. It, they were likely someone struggling in life for sure. And that in itself is like kind of what you were getting at, where uh, if we start to sort of improve society across the board, what it does to job budgets, uh, you know, municipality budgets, being able to create opportunities and sort of solve that problem because some people have this right. but in that incident you know it's it's the human doing quote unquote something wrong and the robot didn't do anything but everyone's worried about the robots yeah it's like, okay why don't you go to the you know the fbi webpage and you'll quickly realize that uh, a violent crime occurs every 26 seconds in our country and a property crime every four seconds did a robot do that no. Who did that? A human. So are we worried about the robots or are we worried about the humans? Yeah. No, this is a real, this is a real, there are things that you're solving for and there are the things that need to be looked at as a, as a higher picture of what humans need to work on on themselves. Uh, there are problems to solve to make sure we can record and, uh, be aware of things that could be threatening to people's lives. And then there are things that people need to do work on themselves and uh, people can blame society, but you know, 
everyone has a struggle. Everyone comes up from a different jump. You know, I mean, your own career can speak to how hard you had to work to get to where you are today. And, and the struggle I, I'm fighting for is for the officers and guards. Like these two and a half million people wake up every morning are willing to take a bullet for you and your family. And the level of technology we provide to them as a country is beneath the dignity of this nation. Like you cannot ask a police officer to be the mental health specialist, yeah. the psychologist, the family supporter, um, the paramedic, the hostage rescue person. You have 17 different jobs and you're not able to give them at least something close to the level of capabilities um, someone in a theater of war would have at their disposal that would be appropriate for use in society. Like that's, it's fundamentally flawed and we need to fix this injustice. Like, I love that you've been answering every question I've been throwing at you, no matter how crazy or loopy it may sound. Um, for me, that just goes to show like how much you've really thought about your own impact on society and what people might think as you continue to develop this. Knowing your mission and its intent is far greater than any of these little questions or, or, or uh, hypotheticals people try to throw and at And that's why I think it's really important for us to have that experience out in the field. Like you... It, it looks really good on a PowerPoint, uh, but, but, you know, as, as a lot of people say, you know, you, you have a plan until someone punches you in the face yeah. and having been through this, you know, six, seven, eight winters and summers uh, all across the country in every time zone, you know, we learned all kinds of stuff in Kentucky and Texas and California and New York and everywhere in between. And we can now speak with some authority as to a client wants to do X. It's like, mm. I don't think that's a good idea, right? Um, and one of the biggest lessons learned we've had with interacting with society, it just, it's a very basic, simple concept uh, that we try to stress to our incoming clients to encourage, force them to do, uh, which is just simply introducing yourself. Just having some manners uh, and etiquette will help the tenants, the students, the faculty, the employees, understand and get comfortable over the technology. And so a good example would be, um, hey, we're going to go put this machine at a school, let's say. It would not be a good idea to just ship the machine and then it arrives on Monday and it starts patrolling and no one knows what the heck it does or you know anything like that. You're going to, every fear that every human might have is going to come out and the worst case scenario is likely to happen. But if you send out a, an email blast or you create a, a web page or an Instagram page or whatever, hey, this robot's coming, let's do a robot naming contest, let's have some robot cake or have a lunch and learn, uh, let's explain what the robot does, why it's here, uh, then that simple gesture fixes 90% of the problems. And, you know, that comes from years and years of working on this. And we're so grateful that uh, uh, the mayor in New York City um, and the NYPD took that advice. And so we brought the robot roadshow. If you haven't seen this crazy, I call it the robot aquarium, and just go to nightscope.com slash roadshow. Uh, there's this huge pod that we've been trucking all around the country to, to, to do exactly this. So we stuck the pod in Times Square for three days. 
and had the media, the community leaders, all the officers and guards be able to come touch, see, and feel. And now when we deploy the machine in, uh, in Manhattan, it's not a big surprise for everyone that there's a robot patrolling at the Times Square subway station, right? And if we hadn't done that, man, <laughs> things would have gone the wrong way. I mean, like at the end of the day, it's like you look at this story of Star Wars. No one has a problem with R two D two and C three PO rolling around, right? In fact, where would the Jedi's be half the time without those droids helping bail them out of situations? These can be tools for good, and yep. that much is true. And integrating them into society is absolutely pivotal in terms of like having a human liaison for the first because it's a behavior change, right? That we're that we're looking to. But, to but it's a very very. Yeah, it's a very, very powerful technology. And, you know, society always ends up having these freak out moments every 10, 15, 20 years where there's something new coming and the world's going to end. I, I always like to just bring people, go, you know, go backwards in time to when the first time electricity came online. Like, think about it. Put yourself like I've been living with candles. It's been dark all night. <laughs> and then some voodoo thing happens and there's light in the middle of the night. Oh, and by the way, I saw somebody touch something and they died. Right. Put yourself in that mindset. It's like there's something magical here. It looks really cool. It's super dangerous and can kill people. Maybe we shouldn't use electricity. Like that would have been the, like right. absolutely dumb conclusion. Right. Um, and it's the same case here. This is a powerful set of technologies where you combine autonomy, robotics, AI, and electric vehicle technology into something uh, extremely compelling. Um, but it is a, you know, it's a force for good. And how we use it and how we uh, deploy it is extremely important. Well, I want to roll out the red carpet for you, uh, Bill. What, what do you want people to go do now that they've heard this conversation, they've heard your case? What do you want them to know about what you're uh, doing uh, at now as an initiative? Is it the is it the uh, the uh, the the public offering for people to be able to invest in? Because I mean, did that in itself also uh, to just me? To me, the most important thing is for people to go learn. Just go learn about what we're what we're doing and all the good that the team. Um, has worked years and years and years in, in perfecting and, and rolling out. Um, just go to nightscope.com slash rise, R-I-S-E, and learn about the rise of the robots. You know, uh, there's a video series there where you can learn about the technology, you can learn about the company, um, and that's the, the place that's probably the most important. It's just for people to learn first. Bill, before we wrap things up, is there anything you'd like to make sure you say to the audience while they're still listening before we close this out? Yeah, the most important thing you need to remember, long night scope and short the criminals. We'll see you on the other side.